Hi everyone, this is David Rockland. I'm the author of The Luminous and most recently The Night Language on Rare Bird. I also host a reading series in LA and today I'm talking to a fellow Rare Bird author who, as you are going to come to find out, he and I have a, just a little bit of history together. Um, his novel, The Second Son, of an extremely cool thriller, is coming out on Tuesday, August 14th. So hurry out and buy your copy. Please welcome Martin Weiss. Hi there. Here I am, Martin J. Weiss, and my book is The Second Son. Full disclosure, uh, David Rockland and myself uh, go back since we were about eight, eight years old. Uh, we grew up across the street from each other in uh, Chicago, so... We've had many conversations like this before, and hopefully we we'll haven't run out of things to say. <laughs> well, normally our, con our, our conversations always started out like jogging. So I feel like this is That's kind of true. age appropriate. Like we, we probably could not talk and breathe and jog at the same time. So now we're just seated in our respective comfy chairs, having the kind of conversation we used to have. Right. We used to go jogging and talk about uh, aliens and Loch Ness monsters and things like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was I was a little disappointed to read that none of those made it into your book, but your book is still extremely cool. So let's start off by telling us a little bit about the book before I start giving you an incredibly hard time. <laughs> uh, what would you like to talk about? The, uh, the story? I would love to hear about the story. And then honestly, I don't know if we've ever talked about um, how you came up with this. Good question. Um, you know, I think the early idea was focusing on twins. And I would say The Second Son is a domestic thriller. And I, I, I love thrillers. And I've always uh, been a big fan of international thrillers, big scope things. Uh, like legal thrillers, uh, medical thrillers, things that uh, always uh, have some kind of conspiracy or big brother. And I started getting interested in domestic thrillers, mostly because I like the, the concept or the conceit that they are focused on what you don't know about the people closest to you. Mm -hmm. And my idea of focusing on twins was those are the, the people that are most genetically similar. And I thought it'd be interesting to think of what the story could reveal that they don't know about each other as uh, as it progresses, because and so that you would expect them to know everything about each other. That was a yeah, that was the original idea, and I do know a couple sets of uh, twins, and and one of the things I thought that was interesting, aside from how close they are and how uh, they they finish each other's thoughts and that sort of thing, is one particular set of uh, twins. Their their parents never told them who was born first, mm. and. It was kind of a big deal because that's where I got the title, The Second Son, um, which was it, it kind of goes back to inheritance laws. And, you know, it used to be a big play in, in Europe, especially. It was a big deal um, when it came to twins as to who, who was the firstborn. So basically a labor based difference of like a minute could make the difference between whether you inherited directly or you had to wait for your sibling to die. Right. In some countries, uh, the firstborn inherits all the property. Mm -hmm. So I just thought I just thought that was an interesting uh, conceit to, to focus on. And, and that was that was the original idea. And then it just kind of so what was what was the name of your twin and how did you kill him? Um, it was long ago. It was at birth. No, um, that, that's a good question. You were strong at birth. Yeah. So so that's so tell us a little bit about the, the story of this one. 
And then I want to get into how you came to this, because uh, as we'll talk about, you and I moved out to L.A. separately, but with the same general idea in mind. And you were very film based. And now you've written um, your first published novel. And I just want to find out about how you made that move from one writing discipline to the other and how you're finding it. What are the differences in terms of both the writing, but also in terms of the worlds you have to inhabit, the publishing world versus the, the, the filmmaking world? And we're, we're going to get into that. But tell us a little bit more about the story of The Second Son. Well, the story um, is set in the world of technology. And um, I, I was most fascinated with how technology makes our lives so much easier, but yet there's always some downside that, that comes out, like what we're dealing with Facebook now, or so, usually some kind of privacy issue. And so I, I like that world um, that the twin the twins start in, where um, they have a technology company in Santa Monica, Silicon Beach. And what would happen if uh, technology was that, that they created and with good intentions turned out to be what reveals all their secrets. And that's basically what happens. At the, at the beginning of the story, uh, one of the twins takes a job with a competitor up in, in Silicon Valley. And, and he leaves quickly, and soon thereafter, the, the twin that's left behind, his fiance takes off on, you know, with a Dear John letter. And so he's kind of left behind wondering, you know, what just happened, if they possibly ran off together. And he uses the transparency technology that they created to, to find out. And what he finds out, he may not want to find out. So that's the genesis of it. So kind of this, this kind of extraordinary technology that these twins create together that's very much a part of their twinned world actually begins to undo the bonds between them. And then they really find out what the other person is, is all about. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's that sounds crazy. a lot like our relationship. It's kind of why we don't speak anymore. Am I right? <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's the basic idea. And um, yeah, it's very different than uh, the movie business. And so, yeah, yeah, I started out, as you know, doing uh, television commercials. So I uh, started from the very short form and now I'm in the very long form world with some other yeah. stops in and I, I explored different genres, and my commercials were mostly comedic, and then the films I did um, ranged from horror to adventure and action, and my screen, one of my screenplays got novelized, and that is what got me excited about working on novels. And I uh, got involved with the International Thriller Writers Organization, which is a very broad scope. Thrillers uh, range from everything, from the spy thriller to, like I said, domestic thrillers or anything in between. Do you find in the thriller world right now that, you know, in terms of the feedback you get from agents or fellow writers or publishers when you go out on submission with something or when you speak on some of the panels? I know you speak a lot at, at the thriller convention. I, I think you're chairing a panel or chaired a panel. Um, do you find that there's like a trend in thrillers, you know, like everything needs to be domestic or everything needs to be from a particular point of view or in a particular voice, or is it still pretty open to lots of different ideas? You have to have uh, the word girl in the title yeah. uh, <laughs> for it to succeed. Uh, but yeah, point of view has changed a little bit. I think um, third person is probably the most popular uh, with a close second to first person, but there, there's definitely a lot of thrillers that have uh, multiple POVs, um, mm -hmm. which I guess was popularized by 
Gone Girl and, and the Girl on the Train. Um, and I've, I've seen a lot of that lately, but I don't know if it's been overdone and people are, are going back to first person and third person. I think uh, that might be the case. So it feels more like a gimmick to, to do otherwise. So if you compare your screenwriting and directing background to your novel writing background, not only just which one do you enjoy more, but which one do you find the most freedom in being able to kind of express your ideas? You know, that's a, that's a good question because as a direct, like screenwriting, I'd say uh, novels definitely you have more, you, you have more to explore and to color in, so to speak. With screenplays, you have to be very sparse, but um, I was mostly a director and the director colors in all those details in a film. The advantage of writing a book is you can do the whole thing by yourself instead of needing millions of dollars, a crew, and a lot of luck and things to fall into place. You could finish a manuscript. Getting it published is another story, but I think that's that's kind of what really drew me to writing a book is that I, it's, a, it's a way that I could just dive in and finish something. Now, growing up together, the reason that I was, I was like mildly surprised when you started tilting towards writing thrillers is that growing up together, you were much more drawn to people who were candidly way, way funnier than you, um, <laughs> like, like Woody Allen and me um, <laughs> and Mel Brooks. So you want me to write a memoir about you? Is, and, that, is that what you're and, suggesting? Yeah. Also me, if I didn't mention that I was funnier than you. So, so what made you actually gravitate towards a thriller for your first novel? You know, that, that is a really good question. I don't know. I, I only ask good questions. You only ask good questions. And I, I, would, I would turn that on you in a sec, but first I'll answer it because I would say I really, I don't know. I don't know what ma makes me write things different than things that I'm most drawn to watching or, or reading. Um, although I would say that I do enjoy reading thrillers more than any other book genre. And I don't know that comedy films are still my favorite. Is that because you don't find that they're as funny as they were when you were um, when you were kind of coming up and sort of having your artistic sensibilities shaped? Yes, <laughs> or everything shake and maybe things aren't as funny as they used to be. But I, I still like a great comedy, but I don't think it's I think I think my tastes have changed a lot. <laughs> Okay. But I, I, I would like to ask you the same question, because I remember you as, as a young man loving horror films mm -hmm. and, Still do. And, and James Bond movies and action films. And so mm -hmm. you're writing literary fiction right now. Right. Which, right. Which is a big change. Yeah, that's true. But why do you write literary fiction? Why don't you write uh, the things that you started out watching? One, I think it's just my way of, of letting people know that I'm way deeper than you think. You know, it's just it's that insecurity. I, I just need people to know that I'm just deep and and soulful. Um, I'm not just I'm not just this incredibly handsome exterior. There's there's you know, I've got a mind, you know, I'm not just a piece of meat. No, um, you know, I think I was always, whenever I sat down, you know, to to write um, on Bobolink Lane, the street that we grew up on and, you know, everybody was asleep and it was just me and my journal talking about how nobody got me, <laughs> you know, um, probably wearing something black. Um, I think I all, all my writing has always been towards more meditative, more inward musings. And I just, I don't think, I think whereas your tastes have changed and you kind of moved up and out of the more of the comedic stuff that you were way into when you were younger, for me, I probably just, it's maybe just arrested development. I still tend to, to muse on the same kinds of things. Um, 
And but but part of it, I think, and maybe you can relate to this, too, is I just get I get drawn to what I get drawn to. You know, I mean, I don't necessarily make a conscious effort to think about, OK, what shall I write next? I wanted to address these themes. It's just something kind of suggests itself to me and off I go. Do you do you find the same kind of thing or are you thinking like, you know what, for my next book, I'm really, really interested in, for example, I know that the. The, the next book, which we'll talk about in a moment, um, deals a little bit with drone technology and what that means and you know what the implications are for our world. Did you just say, I wanted to deal with something like that and then constructed a story around it? Or did a story just kind of suggest itself to you one day and you kind of followed it down the rabbit hole? I think I, I, I usually find a twist or a concept or an interesting idea uh, and then a theme is built around it, and I and I develop a theme from there. Sometimes I do start with a theme, though, and I also I also notice that a lot of a lot of the things I write have similar or repeating themes. How about you? I would love to be able to say that I'm aware of the themes in my book, but I'm not. I think when I'm writing, it's it's in and on such a an unconscious level that it's not until much later when either I reread what I've done or somebody talks to me about something that struck them. And it occurs to me that I kind of know where that came from and it's something that's thematic in my life, but I just was not consciously aware of it when I was writing it. That's interesting. Do you ever go back later and say, okay, I see the theme that's coming out here. Now I'm gonna go back and, and work on a layer to make sure that I'm you know, piecing it together accordingly? A little bit, yeah. It, it, and it may not be so much a theme as just whether the story mechanically is working because for me and and you know you have i think the same concern for the kind of writing you do but the cliche around literary fiction is always that it's beautiful writing but it doesn't go anywhere whereas the cliche about genre fiction is that it moves like lightning but the writing is crap so i was always very concerned about trying to find the sweet spot somewhere in the middle where the writing is hopefully writing that i can be proud of but at the same time, the story does have a sense of propulsion. Um, so when I go back, it's not, I actually have, I think, um, a pretty good sense of self-trust that thematically I'm where I ought to be without overthinking it too much. I'm really thinking more about briskness of pace, you know, um, likelihood of these events happening? Am I staying within the four corners of the rules that I've set up for the particular world I'm dealing with? And, you know, do the pages turn? And I, I would imagine that may not be too different for you, especially if you're writing in the thriller genre. Yeah, I think there are a lot of elements to, to keep your mind on. And at first, I just think of the downright story and the logic of it and what happens next. And I, I do work from an outline. However, it does veer off a lot, especially in mysteries. You have to the logic has to really work and it really has to play. So when you when you change, you go veer off from the outline, it kind of changes the whole thing and you have to readjust it. And I like that because I like the surprises. I like, you know, I like that when the story gets to a place and I say, oh, but this would be really cool if it went this way, because the reader should feel the same way. They, it shouldn't be predictable to them. It should, it, it needs to be logical and it needs to be, um, you know, believable, but it's it's great when it goes in a, a, a direction that they didn't see coming. And I think that mm -hmm. that's a big part of thrillers. But I also, I'm in the middle of a rewrite right now for my next book that, that comes out in January. And it's it's probably the last pass 
And I notice like every time I go through, I'm really tackling another issue, whether for example, it could be the theme. It could be like, you know, I started out with a theme at the beginning this way. Did I really pay it off accordingly? And that sort of sort of thing. And it might be something I didn't think of before. And tell us a little bit about that one, which I believe is called the Flamingo Coast. Flamingo Coast. Yeah, that's that's uh, uh, releasing uh, January 15th. 2019. It has a female protagonist, and she's a former IRS agent who goes after her last uh, financial criminal that got away and disappeared. It's, he's basically a Madoff-type character that fled the country and disappeared, and she goes after him. And what she finds when she goes out on her own is her entire past. That's interesting. Kind of intriguing, and it takes place uh, mostly in the Caribbean, in the financial worlds of uh, the Grand Cayman. So if I were to start picking out themes in your writing between Flamingo Coast and Second Son, it's trust. Trust in the people that you think you know, maybe even trust in yourself if you think you know yourself. And what happens when that trust is breached or when it's shown to be completely misplaced and actually you didn't know nearly as much as you think. So I guess the question I have is who hurt you? <laughs> you know, they're, they are slightly different. Like I said, The Second Son really was, to me, a, a very pure uh, domestic thriller um, because the, the twin aspect, usually domestic thrillers are focusing on a spouse, but I did uh, look at twins because I thought it might, might take it up a step. Flamingo Coast might be a, a little bit more of a traditional uh, spy thriller in that regard. And it does, it does have a lot of missing pieces in the protagonist's past that are explained later on. So it, it's it's not so much what she finds out about somebody that's close to her at the time, but it, it's about um, secrets unknowns to her that were were hidden and and get answered later in the in the story. If you had to describe the tone of your writing as as your readers will find it in these two books, but particularly in Second Son which is uh, once again coming out on Tuesday. By the way, congrats. Thank you. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's a big uh, deal. update. Yeah, Thank you. you've got a pub. You're a, you're a traditionally published author. Congratulations. You are now in the 10% of where most writers hope to be one day. So that's a pretty cool achievement. I'm but in the club. Have, what, 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 can, what can I expect on pub day? What happens? Uh, Do you get flowers? You can, you can expect the rest of us writers to kick you out of the club because that was an oversight. You really should not be here. No, if you if you had to describe your writing style, so when somebody picked up Second Son, they're kind of wondering like what the tone's going to be. Is it kind of breezy and fun? Is it hard boiled? Is it dark and you know kind of violent? What like what? How would you describe it if you had to kind of give a pithy little description of it? It's violent and bleak. And no, I would say it's um. So it's how you were raised. Yeah, it's how I was raised. I would say it's, uh, it's um, there is some humor in there. I think it is um, light in those ways. And I think it is, it's it's all told in third person from okay. one point of view. I would say uh, it's, it's more on the breezy side. Okay. Now for the humorous parts, did you ever consider handing those parts off to me because I'm funnier? I did. I thought about it and I decided not to. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 so sorry for how this book is now most likely going to go. Yeah, yeah. try yeah, try. You'll look, you'll look back on that. You'll. That's look back. quite a plug. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, back back to you. 
So. No, oh, really? <laughs> what can I? You know, I'm. I'm. It's not really about me. This is your. This is your moment to shine. This is your book is coming out on Tuesday. Mine was out in November. It's been. It's. It's just been floating around out there like a leaf on the wind. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it just trailed so, off. So, like so is that what I have to look forward to? A leaf on the wind? Yes. No, but, right, now, right now you're a, you're a green, robust leaf on the tree. But you know, like all things, death is coming. Yeah, it is. Anyway, that's, that's, have, a, have a good day. Um, yeah. So you've got Second Sun coming out next Tuesday. You've got Flamingo Coast coming out in January. Are you working on something new right now besides the rewrite of Flamingo? You got any yeah. new ideas? Bouncing around in that noggin? I, I do have thoughts uh, spinning around. I'm working on a, a book called Unmanned. And um, this one, like Second Son, does have a technology hook at the beginning. Because the okay. uh, protagonist in this actually has a drone business, which is Unmanned Aerial Vehicles. That's where part of where I get the title, Unmanned. But it's also about Unmanned uh, refers to what happens to him. Um, and basically, should I tell you the hook? You want to hear the hook? Well, I think it's probably having to do with your sex life, right? It is. It's unmanned. Cool. Well, it actually does have a little something to do with his. Uh, well, he sees some drone footage uh, of his wife, who supposedly had killed herself a year ago, that makes him think that she's still alive. So um, it, that's the hook at the beginning. That. So what it, happens at the end? Just uh, let's, so. Let's, so then everybody dot really does dot. No, I can't tell okay. you. Okay. Well, I I like Bleak, so I'm already in line to buy that book. I I, yeah. I like dark stuff. Yeah, it's, it actually, right, that, so, that one's more light and fluffy. <laughs> Just like you. So, yeah. so lightning round, pen and paper or laptop? Laptop, definitely. You can think while you write first draft material on a, a, while typing? Yeah. Um, uh, I wish I could do that. I can't do it. I'm, I'm totally pen and paper. Yeah. You know, I, I was a journalism undergrad, and I learned how to type really fast. Yeah. So um, it, to me, I, I do think best uh, typing. Okay. You are by all accounts, a husband and a father. Yeah. And you have a busy home life with two cool kids and a, a damn cool wife who I'm sure do their very best to build in time for you to find writing. But what's the challenge of being, you know, a, a husband, a dad, you know, you, you still have to do stuff to pay the bills and find time to write. How do you balance all that? I compartmentalize a lot. You know, I kind of, I kind of have to focus on one thing at a time, but I do, I do try to balance my day out in hours. I do get up very early to write mm -hmm. and I can only go about five, six hours a day of writing. I don't know about you, but um, I sort of burn out and my eyes are going. So is that five yeah. or six hours straight? Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. That's what I would say. Most writers would say that is a lot of writing in one sitting. Yeah, it is. But it goes really fast. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it feels like, uh, you know, just a second. And then um, I try to uh, do something physical during the day to. Uh, yeah. And when, did, and when did you stop exercising? <laughs> oh, about 10 well, years ago. Yeah, that's what I figured. Now, five or six hours a day of writing, if I looked at what you wrote, would it say all work and no play makes Marty a dull boy over and over and over? No, there's 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 a lot of play in there. But um, okay. yeah, you know, I have young kids, so I am playing a lot. Yeah. Okay. So, so there you go. So um, yeah, so then the rest of, you know, the rest of the day is uh, family responsibilities. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool.
tell me one cool thing you remember about Northbrook where you and I grew up outside Chicago. I remember um, the Village Green sitting up on, on this mm -hmm. uh, tornado slide yeah. and looking down and saying, I will be gone from, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> what are the things I remember most about our hometown? Mm -hmm. um, I do remember, yeah, you, you did mention our, our jogs. We really did used to um, go, I think it was probably high school, right? And we used to go jogging um, pretty often around town at night and talk about our futures and things like that. It was actually before high school, too. We were doing that from when we were like 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And and uh, we played hockey. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, I remember eating hot dogs at Little, Little Louie's, which uh, is still there. So here's my question. Let's see how well you remember Northbrook. We are we our bikes are parked near the tornado slide. Right. We are on top of the tornado slide in that little crow's nest. We've successfully chased everybody else off, so it's just ours. You are eating a Little Louie's hot dog. What am I most likely to be eating? Uh, Baskin-Robbins ice cream cone? That is incorrect. Mm. You are dead to me. <laughs> the, correct, the correct answer would be golden. Wait, 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 wait. Let me try one. Let me try again. Is no, it I already said it. I already said it. It's too late. Uh, what was it? I didn't hear. Golden Crown Egg Rolls. Oh, right. Okay. Jesus yeah, that, that that's not that's not there any longer. But they I know. they did have, it's gone. They did, they did have great egg rolls. That that's they did. Well, I, I told I told you once we dis I discovered the secret of why their egg rolls were so good. Uh, peanut butter. The secret was they used peanut butter to mix the ingredients. They showed me one day when I went to there from college. They're like, oh my god, I remember you. You grew up eating egg rolls, and I said, yeah, because there nobody makes them like you. And he's like, oh, do you want to see how we make them? And they showed me. It was a jar of Skippy, literally. That they use to. I've heard that. I think, I think that's. I think that's unique to um, egg rolls yeah. in Chicago, actually. I think that's right. And what what I thought, and the, the reason I respected them is that clearly they just didn't give a shit about peanut allergy. They were like, you know what, <laughs> eat an egg roll, and whatever happens to you in terms of hives and throat closure is frankly your problem. Have an egg roll. That's right. Uh, no, nobody ever talked about peanut allergies back then. That's, that's true. Very, that is very very true. So. As we're getting ready to wrap this up, you moved from Chicago to Los Angeles. I did so not that long after you. We wrote together, and we've been doing what we've been doing all this time. Any regrets about leaving Chicago and, and building your, your writing life here in L.A.? That's a great question. Um, no, I don't have any regrets. And I think, uh, I, but I do still love Chicago, and I go back a lot. And, and I still think it's a great city, and um, I do miss winter sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and I get that. Nobody else would understand that, but I totally get that. There's something about being in the cold in wintertime that just feels right. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, Chicago is a little bit, to me, it's a little bit more of a, a city than, than Los Angeles, which, which is a sprawling place. Mm -hmm. um, so I do miss that a little bit. But like I said, I go back enough to... Yeah, yeah. Not missed or have regrets. How about so you? Any regrets? Any regrets there? Um, no. You know, I, I, I always sort of felt like I, I was not going to be able to write if I stayed in the place that I grew up in. I had to be someplace else, at, almost as if to see just whatever it was that I needed to see in order to write from a, from a greater distance. So to me, my writing really only came into being in a publishable way and in a way that made me feel like I was getting to the place I needed to go, 
with writing when I moved. I, I wrote when I was in Chicago and none of it worked, either in terms of being publishable or just in terms of speaking what I needed it to speak. So it, it has worked out for me in terms of the writing. That's interesting because you don't really write in no. places in Los Angeles. No, I, it has literally nothing to do with where I live. It has nothing to do. I, I have not written or published a novel that's like a thinly veiled account of my growing up kind of thing. I just, whatever it is that I need to see when I'm writing, I couldn't see it staying home. I had to move away from home and make a different home in order to see whatever the it is that I need to see. That is interesting. Yeah. Second Son, August 14th, Tuesday, it drops. It is it available drops. in bookstores everywhere. You can get it directly from the publisher, Rare Bird. You can go on to IndieBound and get it via your favorite independent bookstore. You can even get it on the corporate behemoth whose name dare not be mentioned. You can get it there. Where can your readers find you? I am at Martin J. Weiss, spelled out, M-A-R-T-I-N-J-A-Y-W-E-I-S-S dot com. And at Twitter, Martin J. Weiss also, and Facebook, Martin J. Weiss. And your your, uh, direct line is 310, what is it? (laughs) Stop. Oh, okay. Um, and, And last question, do you have anything coming up where you're going to be reading publicly, where people can come and see you? Oh, thanks. Yes. Um, I, two places are coming up. Book Soup on September 7th at 7 p.m. It's cool. on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. And your place, Rorschach, is two days after that. Uh, the 9th, I believe, right? I, I hear the host of that reading series is really amazing. <laughs> That's David Rockland. Yeah. Incredible to look at and just erudite. Just really a pleasure to be with. That would be a great note for us to uh, end this call. No, I'm just kidding. Totally agree. Thank, thank you for doing this. Um, it was great speaking with you. you.